Well, like Claire said, happy Father's Day. I always feel there's quite a, a, a big difference between what happens to fathers on Father's Day and what happens to mothers on Mother's Day. You know, mums get flowers and chocolates and, and cards with caring, loving words uh, inside them. Uh, breakfast in bed, perhaps, and just really spoil where... Where, I don't know, maybe it's just the houses I've been involved with. Usually dads get something like a four-pack of beer and a card with usually a very rude comment inside or, or uh, something, you know, downright, um, some really bad joke or something like that. Uh, so there's a real difference between the two. Um, it's okay with me, to be honest with you, but it depends on your, your view of life, I suppose. But I think that's quite a... Uh, a good and a natural uh, uh, difference. Um, you can decide which one is better or whether in actual fact it's just uh, pretty much two sides of the same coin. But we don't all have uh, that relationship with our dad. Uh, for some of us, our fathers perhaps have passed away. For some, perhaps we are estranged from our dads. Perhaps for some, they weren't a good dad. Perhaps they were even an abusive dad. How comforting then, how amazing is it that God sees himself as our father. It's no coincidence that in the Bible, uh, God is referred to as our father. Jesus himself talks about God the father in that way. And part of what we're going to see today is is just uh, how God thinks of his followers as his children. If today you've put your trust in Jesus as your saviour, then very much we belong to that family and in that family. So we're going to look at that under three titles. If you're taking notes, uh, first of all, eternal children. Secondly, uh, child care. Uh, and thirdly, connected children so eternal children uh, child care and connected children so so first of all let's dive in with eternal children um you can look there if you've got your bibles open i encourage you to keep your your bible open you'll you'll need that to just look at the passage uh, even back in chapter 17 verse 25 and 26 jesus has started talking about his followers as Children. He's referring to Christians as children of the king there in verses 25 and 26 at the end of chapter 17. And he continues with that, that theme, that, that uh, idea into chapter 18. So by the time we're into verse 4, we were looking at last week with, with Ian. A childlikeness is being referred to as, as someone who has humility and has turned to follow Jesus, someone who has taken the lowly position of a child. So that may be a little child, it may be someone who's vulnerable, but it certainly includes any and all people who've been humble enough on some level to place their trust in Jesus and to turn away from their prideful, self-centred lifestyle. So so by the time we're now down in, in verse 5, when, when Jesus is talking about uh, one such child, 
I think it's clear he's talking about Christians and his, his followers. And in fact, when you read the Bible, the followers of Jesus are often called children. Uh, if you're taking your notes, just, just drop the, these passages down, maybe Matthew chapter 10, Ephesians chapter 5, 1 John chapter 3, there's a number of others. God's relationship to his people is father-like. The idea of, of being a dad captures so, so many elements of what it is to be a Christian. Christians belong to him. Christians belong in his family. Jesus paid the price for us to be adopted when he died for us on the cross. So that means we're now God's children we're family we're closer than family it's no coincidence that we we call each other uh, brother and sister sometimes that's not some affection that that we have or, or that we put on this is this is spiritual reality and we're not just children we are eternal children that's not eternal children like uh, peter pan tried to be you know a child forever uh but when we enter the kingdom of God, we're children and we remain children. We stay as children. Sure, we grow and we mature as Christians. But as in our relationship to God, we remain essentially childlike. Like any child, we need to be provided for. We need to be cared for. We need to be protected. We need to be taught. We need to be uh, given wisdom. We need to be loved. Sometimes we need to experience difficult situations in order to grow. Verse 5, then Jesus commands us, commands the world then to welcome his children, to welcome Christians in his name. Not because... They're wealthy or needy or educated or good-looking, not because they're burnt out or they're on fire, not because uh, we look or they, they look or sound like us, but because we belong to him, because we are his children and dearly loved. So, so we welcome... Jesus, when we welcome Christians, firstly because Christians are united with Jesus. Uh, Paul writes in Galatians chapter 2, I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. In some way that we can sometimes struggle to grasp, Christians are united to Jesus. And so... The way we treat other Christians is the way we're actually treating Jesus. But secondly, because as, as we've been exploring a bit, we do indeed belong to him. We, we are his. Parents feel, rightly, a great sense of um, ownership, almost. Or ownership, indeed, of their kids. Uh, those of you from Yorkshire know that your children are not uh, Isaac, they're our Isaac, because they belong to you. They're not Esther, they're our Esther. Uh, 
Uh, by the way, that is very important for those of you uh, who are uh, from Yorkshire when you're children, children, choosing children's names. Do remember a very important test. You know, you think about what, what their initials will, will uh, pick out, that sort of thing, or, or, you know, what their name sounds like when you say it. Do check as well what it's going to sound like if you stand at the back door, you open the back door, and you're shouting them in for tea, and you say, come on our Isaac to come in, because some names don't work. You know, so apologies if anyone here has a as a kid called Ariana, but but think about it. You know, come on our Ari, come on our Ariana, come on our Ariana. You know, it's quite hard to say. So do just check that one as a as a as a backup. Just a little hint we've picked up over the years, if you're from Yorkshire. Um, but we feel an incredibly strong bond to our kids. They're ours. They're our kids. God feels. The same way his followers are his, we belong to him closer than family. To say he cares for his followers is a dramatic understatement. You know that how you treat a child is going to greatly affect how their parent thinks of you. That's just, that's just how the relationships run. So yes... Whenever someone welcomes a Christian, they're welcoming Jesus himself. We value them in of themselves. And we also value them because of who their father in heaven is. In, in a little while, we're talking about stumbling blocks. One, stumbling blocks. One great way to be a stumbling block to a Christian is not to welcome them. That is a really good way to cause problems. So let me ask you some questions. How do you treat other Christians? What do you think of other Christians? How do you feel when you're introduced to a Christian who you've never met before? Do you feel joy and love? Do you feel threatened? Do you feel proud? Do you want to check out their theology first before you really give them a good welcome? Do you think about their age? Are they the same age as me? Are they the same ethnicity as me? How do you make them feel welcome? How would you make a child feel welcome who you were meeting for the first time? Secondly then, childcare, verses 6 and 7. Tells a lot about Jesus and his relationship to his followers. These little ones, these children are, are fragile, vulnerable. Like any father, God feels upset about anyone who hurts his kids. He wants his children to be cared for. You can see there, verse 7, that it says that his followers are going to stumble. That we are going to sin. Let's be clear here. Christians are prone to stumble, to sin often. Although we are united with Christ, although we have been assured by his resurrection, although we have been declared righteous by God, we still sin. Like any little children, fragile and vulnerable. Because we rebel against our Father and break his good rules. And vulnerable because the world can hurt us. Other people can hurt us. And Jesus, <laughs> you know, declares such a, such a curse here. 
the word verse seven the word woe there is, is just you know a prophet declaring a curse back from the old testament it's, it's such a terrible uh, judgment on those who cause such things to happen those who should be caring for Christians, who should be looking out for his fragile children, are going to be dealt with harshly if they do not work hard at this and if they do not look out for his children. Tempting or causing his children pain is not going to end well for them. You can see there the terrible fate set out for them. Surely it is terrible to fall into the hands of a holy and righteous God. Jesus says "Must things, these things must come. There is an inevitability to it, but God does not cause them. God does not cause them. They are within his realm of, of sovereignty, I guess, but he, he doesn't cause them. And it does not reduce the responsibility of those through whom they come. So Jesus here is, is, I think, trying to encourage his followers. Yes, the language is grim. But in the middle of scorn and ridicule, persecution, Jesus wants us to know that we are his. And he cares deeply. And that our, our tormentors are going to be dealt with severely. Just uh, just an important sidebar here as well, we should say. Jesus, Jesus commends his uh, followers to be humble. We've seen that last week. However, that is to be done in an environment that, that's loving and mutually respectful. He tells us we're going to suffer persecution for his sake. But there's an important balance here. Nowhere in the Bible... Does it say that his followers are commanded to tolerate abuse, especially from other Christians? The Bible is clear and so is the leadership here at REC. Bullying and abuse are not to be tolerated. If you find yourself in a situation where you are being abused or even that you feel you're at risk of it, then find a place of safety immediately. If you don't know how to do that, contact one of the leaders at the church and we will help you to do that. So, let me ask you some questions. How angry do you feel God gets when someone causes one of his followers to sin? How angry do you think God gets when someone tries to pull one of his followers away from following him? How do you use those areas of liberty that God's given us in the Bible? So there's a number of things in the Bible where, where God doesn't give us a, a strict set of rules. Um, for example, do you want a drink? As in a drink of alcohol. Although we're commanded not to get drunk. It doesn't say not to have a drink. However, there's a number of environments where that is not appropriate for a Christian to do that. If we're out with a young person who's below the age of where that's legal or wise, if we are out with someone who struggles with alcohol as an addiction, then it's not a good idea for us to use that liberty. Uh, protesting, you know, protesting, well, I'm free to do that. The Bible, the Bible says so. The fact that we haven't thought about the other Christians who we're with 
will go down very badly with our father in heaven the father of that child who we've been tempting and may even have caused to stumble so how do we use our areas of liberty it's a good thing to think about well thirdly then let's think about uh connected children verses eight and nine our language which is wow i mean just rich in uh imagery and uh us thinking about whether we have to start performing surgery on ourselves and those kind of things um jesus is trying to get across how serious sin is we all sin we've said that we all sin we all rebel against god even though we might know in our heads that what god has for us is the very best that he wants for us we we still want to be our own god we still want to follow our own rules we forget that submitting to him is is actually not being by by rules it's actually freedom and the most logical course of action and and jesus says it here both verse 8 and verse 9 the penalty is death and eternal damnation in hell and the way to avoid this is by putting our trust in jesus in his death for us as we've just been singing about not been singing about listening to people sing about uh singing about if you're at home um his death for us on the cross and his resurrection turning and following him that way we can we can uh, uh, avoid that doing our best to do that as we live in in rotherham this is a matter of eternal life and bliss or eternal death and suffering this is why it's so serious this is why jesus is talking about plucking out eyes and chopping off hands and legs he's saying sin is really really serious and a christian needs to fight it with every resource available he uses the same language you might remember back in the sermon on the mount in in matthew chapter 5 so he's, he's, he's used the same kind of dramatic language before here though it's linked to verses six and seven here though it's linked to the idea of his children and his family so yes the the problem of sin is, is big in our life and, and there is only one solution as jesus is clear it's a big problem for us but it's even worse because of the impact on other Christians. It's even bigger because of the impact on other people. Almost all sin not only impacts on ourselves, but also on other people to a greater or a lesser extent, usually way more than we're aware of. And so God is, is even more angry about sin because it's hurting his children. It hurts his precious, beloved children and and this can happen you know this can happen a number of ways could be directly obviously the the you know if i if i go and uh punch you and or something as tempting as that may be then uh then obviously you know uh that's direct sin that's impacting directly on him um but also by example you know it's a it's an old saying but it's true we we learn by example as fragile children we are so easily influenced by the people around us 
Sometimes, sometimes consciously, sometimes unconsciously, we, we follow the example of, of the people around us. So we have to be careful with how we live our lives. And Paul talks a lot about that in a couple of his letters. I've been mean, very conscious about how we, the example we are to other people. Um, also by culture. The culture around us. Um, our culture is, is just becoming so impacted by uh, influencers and people just with ideas not grounded in any kind of fact, really. Just opinions and views. And uh, we have been bombarded. We've been bombarded on social media, on TV. The amount of times we have screens in front of ourselves in one way or another or... or uh, even over over such old-fashioned things as radios. You may have one in your house, I don't know. Um, we're not supposed to fight every cultural war. We can't fight every cultural war. However, we do have to present a narrative which is different to the one that is being bombard- which is bombarding us so much of the time. One that doesn't perpetuate this environment where sin is, is unquestioned or even, even encouraged. How else? I want to suggest by negligence. By negligence as Christians, we can neglect what we might call, what we might call Christian activities. It's probably a better phrase for that. Um, uh, I often neglect my body. This is why I have this uh, this uh, uh, waistline, the lack of exercise, eating badly. Um, when the church, the body of Christ, does not exercise or has a poor diet, it has a hurtful impact. It leads can lead to sin within uh, those members of the body. Christ, the body of Christ, suffers. Whether it's uh, not preaching the gospel, whether it's not being in the Bible, whether it's not things like communion, prayer, baptism, meaningful church membership, loving each other, just hanging out together, fellowship. All these things help keep, help keep a healthy church body and reduce the risk of damage to God's children. Sure, the Bible gives us clear instructions about how to deal with sin between Christians. We're going to look at some of that in a couple of of weeks' time. But Jesus' teaching at the moment right here is don't be that person. Don't be the person who's going to do that. Jesus is saying the world acts like that. Christians, you need to be different to the world. So fight sin in your life to care for these little ones. For the least of these, your brothers and sisters. Sure, stumbling blocks are inevitable, but it doesn't mean that you have to be one. Don't be one. You don't have to gouge out your eye, but fight sin vigorously in your life. The best way to avoid hurting others and the most pleasing response to God is to fight sin in your life. So, again, let me ask you some questions. 
What are the sins in your life? What are the ones that crop up time and time again? What are the desires that lead to those sins? What are the temptations that lead to those desires, that lead to those sins? Okay, having, having figured that out, what strategies can you come up with to cut off those temptations as soon as they occur? That's a great way to fight sin. Before they get to the stage even of a desire. How can you uh, fight them when they're desires before they become full-grown sins? What are the Bible passages that offer you advice on that? Who can you ask to pray for with you about that? Who can hold you accountable? How can you fight it? When you get knocked down, how can you pick yourself up again and pick yourself up again and pick yourself up again? We don't win every battle with sin. But we can win the war. We will not win every time. And Jesus knows that and that's okay. And that's why he has died for us on the cross. But through him we can win the war. We can ultimately triumph through his love and grace. And that will help the family of God to whom we belong to. The flow of Jesus' thoughts here are clear. If we want to follow Jesus, we must humbly accept him like a child. Those who receive then such children because they belong to him effectively receive Jesus. Such fragile children will inevitably stumble in sin and those who cause that sin are gravely condemned and his followers must radically fight sin in their life. That's, that. That's just the flow of his thought there in, in this part of chapter 18. And which loving father would say less? Which loving father would want less? A father claiming his own beloved children would, would ask this from them, would demand this from others interacting with them. Have no doubt, Christian, Although you may feel fragile and hurt by the sin of others, you are dearly beloved because you belong to the family of Jesus. You are dearly beloved because you belong to God. In in a moment, we're going to listen to uh, In Christ Alone. Includes the words, I am his and he is mine. Bought by the precious blood of Christ. If that cost was so high, it should be no surprise how much he loves you and how much you belong to him. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we, on Father's Day, as Claire said there, we want to say happy Father's Day. Thank you for being our Father. Whatever, whatever our uh, relationships have been with our earthly Father, we thank you that you are a perfect Father. Lord, and we thank you that you therefore care for your children so much. You know, when we read here just some of the consequences of that love, the consequences of that love are that you want us to welcome your children. 
because you love them. The consequences of that love is that you don't want them to be hurt. And where they are being hurt and when they are stumbling, Lord, you, you, you want there to be consequences to that. Lord, and you don't want us to, as children, you want us to deal with sin in our own life and, and not to hurt others through our sin. What a great father you are. What a great God you are. What an incredible father you are to send your son Jesus to die in our place. As a father, I, what does that feel like? How high a cost is that? And therefore, how precious are we to you? Thank you, Father. Amen.